Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This episode of the Single Tracks podcast is sponsored by RX Bar. Stay tuned for a special offer code to take 25% off your first order. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Matt and I are going to be talking about Crankworks. Well, really, mostly Matt is going to be talking about Crankworks. If you don't know, Crankworks is a 10-day mountain bike festival held at the Whistler Bike Park in British Columbia each year, and it seems to get bigger and bigger every year. There are actually multiple Crankworks festivals held around the world, uh, but the one at Whistler is the biggest one, and that's the one that Matt attended recently. Matt spent several days there covering the event. So I wanted to check in with him and hear how it went. So Matt, this was your first time at Crankworks. I'm sure you, like a lot of us have read all about the event and seen videos and stuff over the years. So was it what you expected? It was definitely more than I expected. Um, I mean, I'd obviously heard of Crankworks, um, but yeah, it was certainly more than I expected. Um, I didn't realize it was such like an established competition series. And then now it's an event where brands are debuting a lot of product. Um, yeah. And on top of that, there's demos all over the place and there's just this whole crankworks atmosphere kind of going on. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's really big. How many people were there this year? Do you know? I don't know for, um, at a time, I'm not sure. Um, towards the end on Saturday, Crankworks organizers said that there was like 35,000 people watching Red Bull Joyride at the mountain. Oh, wow. So that's pretty insane. Um, but outside of that, not quite sure. There's definitely a lot. Uh, and from what I heard, it boosts up the mountain's population by quite a bit during that time frame. Yeah, I'm sure. So you mentioned there's a lot of things going on at Crankworks, a lot of different aspects to the event. Uh, one of them is the product launches. So um, mm-hmm. a lot of that stuff happens at the event, like, you know, brand new stuff is unveiled there. But some of that, too, is announced ahead of time, like the, a week or two before. And we actually wrote up several of those announcements. Uh, tell us about, let's start with like the Da Vinci Wilson 29er. Uh, that's a downhill yeah. bike that was announced right before Crankworks, right? Yep. Yeah, so they just released, uh, like a few other brands, uh, a 29er downhill bike. Um, and so some of their athletes, Dakota Norton, uh, has been racing on it already, and um, they finally got it ready to launch to the public. So that was, they came out right before Crankworks Whistler. Um yeah, just another big wheel downhill bike. These things are they're coming out left and right lately. Yeah. I mean, that seems to be the theme, not just for downhill bikes, but enduro bikes. All kinds of bikes are getting 29ers. What about uh, Cannondale came out with a new 29er, right? Or a new 29er on an old bike, which makes it kind of a new bike, I guess. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, just a, a 29er version of their Jekyll. Um, 
it almost seems like some of these brands are just coming out with 29er versions of their same enduro model to keep their racers happy. Like racers want a 27 bike in some courses and others want a 29 and different tracks. Um, you know, cause the benefits are definitely there for, for 29ers. Yeah. Do you think it's more for pros though? I mean, do you think that regular consumers will enjoy the 29er versions of these bikes or is it going to be too much bike for them? No, I think, yeah, I think the, <clears throat> the benefits are definitely there for everybody. Um, you know, just that rollover capability and then you're able to carry speed more confidently, um, for longer benefits are definitely there. And it just seems like the brands are finally getting the geometry down to, to where it needs to be to get 29 inch wheels on these big travel bikes. Yeah. One of the questions we had when we first saw the announcement for the Jekyll 29er was if they were going to keep the 27.5 version. Did you find out anything about that or are we still still wondering? It sounds like they're keeping the 27.5 version uh, from what I've seen. So okay. they'll, yeah, it did. Um, and a few brands have done this. So some of them have just changed the model completely to 29, but the Jekyll should be a 27 and a 29. So it's basically like you're getting the same bike, but just choosing the wheel size. Okay, cool. Um, another one was the GT Fury 29er downhill. And that was one we heard about before Crankworks. And then you actually got a chance to ride one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, another 29er downhill bike. Um, yeah. Working on the review for this one right now. So uh, what was it, Jeff? Like maybe like late 2016 or early 2017 brands started coming out with 29 inch wheels on, on downhill bikes. Yeah. Santa Cruz was, I guess one of the first, but like you said, it was first, it was just the athletes, you know, these were like mm-hmm. kind of special bikes that the brands were making. And then consumers were like, me too. I want one. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So GT has been prototyping and testing in the press release they said for a few seasons um i'm trying to get a more uh detailed answer on that just like how long um Mm -hmm. some of their athletes had been on the prototype before it was launched but yeah so they just launched the fury 29er um and it's pretty interesting the way they have it set up so you can if you buy the frame set then you will get an extra chain stay and that's basically like the swap kit. So mm. you buy the frame set, you get an extra chain stay. And then by switching the chain stay, you can switch it back and forth from 27 to 29. Oh, but if cool. you buy the complete, then you're picking a wheel size and you're not able to buy the chain stay. So uh-huh. picking 27 or you're picking 29 and then you're stuck with it, uh, which probably isn't going to be a big issue for a lot of people. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah. So, yep, they've got their their brand new bike out and spent four or five, six hours maybe riding it on uh, the Whistler bike park trails. And wow. it's a pretty sick bike. Cool. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll ask you more about that a little bit later uh, when we talk about some of the demo rides you were able to go on. Uh, yeah. Sticking with new bikes, one that was introduced... Um, just before Crankworks was the Live Intrigue, and this is a women's bike. Uh, obviously, Live is a brand that 
builds bikes for women. And this is a like a trail enduro bike. It's 150 millimeters of travel up front, 140 in the rear. And these are really nice bikes. I mean, they start at like 3,800 bucks and go all the way up to eight grand. One of the complaints that I saw one of our um, readers lodge against the Intrigue series was that I guess the previous series, they all the bikes had 75 millimeter dropper posts, which I find Mm -hmm. that kind of hard to believe. I mean, that's that's not a lot of drop, but it sounds like we clarified the new one. It just depends on the size. So if you're getting like an extra small frame, you are stuck with a 75 millimeter drop dropper post. But for the larger frames, I think the drop goes all the way up to 125 millimeters. So this is something that's common that we're seeing with most bike brands and most bike models where the frame size is what dictates how much drop you can fit in there. And companies are specking the bikes uh, so that they take full advantage of the seat post height uh, to give you a longer dropper. Yeah, it's it's definitely a better move than just putting a 125 mil dropper post on every size. Yeah, exactly. Another one that we didn't get a chance to write up, but I think some people will be interested to know about is the Fazari LaSalle Peak is going 29er as well. And Fazari is a direct-to-consumer mountain bike brand that's been around for a while. You know, we think of direct-to-consumer as being like this new things, new fad, but Fazari's been doing it for a long time. And uh, their bikes usually offer pretty good value, uh, again, because they don't have quite the overhead that some of the other brands have since they're selling through retailers. Um, so the this LaSalle Peak is... 29er it's got a 160 millimeter travel up fork sorry three two one it's got a 160 millimeter fork up front and 150 millimeters of travel in the rear and it's it's really slack it's got a 65 degree head tube angle the press release said it has a 78 degree effective seat tube angle which that doesn't sound right to me that sounds that sounds really steep but if if that's right uh, I guess it climbs really well. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, I really haven't seen many brands going past, what, like 75 or 75.5? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Most are 74 point something. Um, mm. Yeah, maybe a few are 75. So 78, that that could be could be pretty steep. Interesting one to check out. Um, and then speaking of lower priced bikes, there was some news, not necessarily connected with Crankworks, but... Um, we heard from Trek. Trek just released an alloy version of the Slash, uh, which is a it's an aggressive trail bike, a 29er, uh, and the prices on that start at 34.99, which is pretty good. You get a good build for that price. And then the other one that got a ton of interest um, from single tracks readers, at least, was the Giant Stance. The Giant updated yeah. that bike. Um, Matt, yeah, you wrote about that and. That bike, it's a full suspension trail bike for seventeen hundred bucks. So a lot of people were it's pretty really crazy. stoked. Yeah, and and the bike, you know, they've updated it with sort of modern geometry and stuff. I mean, I still imagine it's going to be heavy, and the components are probably going to frustrate people a little bit. But sure, still, it's a good entry point. Yeah, I think it even has a dropper post like at that price point. Wow. Yeah, from that's what awesome. I remember. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I I see why people are excited about that one. 
So moving on from product, you know, there were a lot of big gravity races that go on during Crankworks each year. So tell us a little bit about those, Matt, which ones were you able to watch and which were the ones that you wish you would have caught? Yeah, there's, um, again, I had no idea. I knew there was competitions at Crankworks, but I didn't know it was like such an established series that I mean, some of the athletes are competing in every single one and racking up points. And then at the end, like at the end of Crankworks Whistler, when it concludes, you have a king of Crankworks and a queen of Crankworks and basically like an overall winner of the festival. Um, so there's there's like a pretty big competition probably every day. Um, the Enduro World Series stopped there. I think that was on the... 12th of August. Um, and so they covered most of the mountain with, uh, with the course. Um, and that's a huge one. I mean, obviously enduro is like probably the most, um, it's definitely drawing the most interest out of like any discipline in mountain biking, I'd say right now. Not necessarily Uh, the crowds though, right? I mean, more people are going to watch Joyride, but you mean in terms of participation? Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, I think like just overall people are probably recognizing more enduro athletes than they are recognizing maybe a, a joyride competitor. Hmm. Um, I mean, I think it's just like the market trend, like it's very enduro based right now. So yeah, it's the hot thing. Yeah. Um, so people buy a Yeti, they know who Richie Root is or a Santa Cruz and they know who Josh Bryceland is or, um, yeah, anyways, just, uh, I think it's a ton of interest. Um, the course is just not very like spectator friendly. I think it's probably, um, a problem for it. Maybe not a problem, but, um, yeah, yeah, you just don't get as many spectators. Um, and then after that, there's the Garbanzo DH, which is a pretty big downhill race on the Garbanzo zone of, uh, Whistler there's a dual slalom race there's a pump track race um the air dh race which is like a race on a line um so i gotta photograph some of that and that's that was pretty cool uh, i mean people are just absolutely flying down it yeah explain air dh what how is that different from like a normal downhill race you know on like a normal downhill race maybe there's a jump line mm-hmm somewhere in that downhill track with a few jumps just to switch up the up the track but this one is just it's an entirely a a jump trail um so it's berms it's tabletops um and it's still a downhill race in the sense that you're trying to get from point a to point b as fast as you can uh, but it's all on jump trails like there's really no technical sections at all so it's mm. really just about carrying as much speed as possible through the entire thing Finn Isles won. He won the men's. And yeah, and then I guess they interviewed Finn Isles afterwards. He's from Whistler and now he races World Cups. And he said he'd done A line maybe a thousand times in his life already. So he just <laughs> knows like every single turn and where to carve out of, where to pick up speed, which jumps to scrub. So he's got that track down. Yeah. Um, and then after that, the Air DH, uh, the day after I watched a little bit of the pump track challenge, which is pretty interesting. It's like this super manicured pump track and there's two sides and 
people are competing to see who can get to the end of the pump track the fastest. And so they'll switch sides. Um, and if you win both of them, then, uh, you move on to the next round. Hmm. Um, and there's a tie in one of them. Like both of them started at the same time, got to the finish line at the same time, which is like crazy because it's a, it's a really small track. Um, and then they switched sides, went again, and the other person won by like a 10th or a hundredth of a second, Wow! Uh, just this really, really small fraction. Um, so yeah, it was, it's a pretty interesting competition to watch. And then, uh, Saturday is Joyride, and that's, you know, it's the, kind of the big showing for Crankworks. Brandon Seminock announced that he wasn't competing, which was nobody really knew until the athlete sheet came out for Joyride, and then he wasn't on it. Uh, and he's done the past 10 or 12 years, uh, every single year at Joyride. But, yeah. uh, for some reason on Instagram, he said that he just wasn't doing it this year. He just wanted to focus on something else. Um, so yeah, this is pretty interesting. He said he's still going to do Rampage, but switching things up from doing Joyride this year. Cool. Um, yeah, and then Joyride was pretty pretty crazy. It was super smoky that day. Um, the wildfires are really bad. Uh, Nikolai Rogatkin won. He won three out of four of the stops this year, and uh, which is yeah, it was like a first time for Crankworks. And just threw down a, a pretty crazy run. And yeah, this is a big deal. So yeah, that sounds like a ton of fun watching all those events and seeing all those athletes there in person, throwing down their moves. Tell us a little bit about the trails at Whistler. This was your first time there, but you spent several days. So how, tell us, how was the mountain? How's it kind of laid out? What's like the general overview of the bike park? Yes, you start, um, and there's really two sides to Whistler. So you can start in Whistler Village, and that's kind of the main side of Whistler. It's where, you know, ticket offices are at. They're the main ticket offices, all the shops and everything. Um, and it's a really big, really, really big resort. It's definitely the largest one I'd ever seen. Um, and then with all the tents and expos and craziness at Crankworks, it just makes it uh makes it seem even bigger than it was so you start down by the Fitzsimmons zone and that's kind of the main lift up you can take that or hop on the gondola but most people just hop on the lift at the Fitzsimmons chair and so that'll kind of take you up mid-mountain and then from there you have a pretty pretty good mix of trails like you can hop on to some technical trails from there you can get on a-line and dirt merchant and uh crank it up and kind of all the flow and jump trails from there um and then from that chair you can catch another chair the garbanzo lift up to um it's definitely not the top of the mountain but it's it's getting closer um and then from there you've got a lot more tech trails to choose from and some more flow and jump trails too um on the other side of that you have the creek side so They've got a bunch of new trails on uh, Creekside, and then that will actually, if you descend all the way to the bottom of Creekside, it's going to take you a few miles west of Whistler Village. So you'll have to take the chair back up and go back down towards the front side of Whistler, or just figure out how to, you know, either shuttle back from the Creekside Village over to the main Whistler Village. And then on top of that, 
If you go all the way down to the gondola at the front side of Whistler, you can take the gondola up, and that will drop you off a little bit higher than the Fitzsimmons zone, or you can take the peak chair, and that will take you all the way to the very top of the mountain at Whistler, all the way up to like top of the world trail and all that. Okay. So yeah, what do you, how many lists would it take to get to the very top? I mean, there isn't like a straight shot. It sounds like you got to take like two or three lifts to get to the highest point. Yeah, it'd just be two. So when I went to do top of the world, I had to take the gondola. And then from there, it's just like this short, maybe quarter mile trail over to the peak chair. And then the peak chair is pretty, uh, it's maybe like a seven minute ride up to the top, something like that. Okay. Cool. That's after like a 20 or 20 minute gondola ride. Okay. Is top of the world. Is that like above tree line? Do you, do you get above tree line at the resort? It's hard to say it was above tree line. I don't think like in terms of oxygen, it's above tree line. Um, <laughs> cause it was 7,000 feet, uh, up towards the highest. So what I saw on my Strava, but it's so like rocky and craggy. There's just not really trees up there. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds cool. So, yeah, you mentioned the Creekside part of Whistler. And like you said, there are a bunch of new trails. We actually posted a couple articles about some of the new stuff that is opening this year. One of our contributors was there for opening day and talked to some of the builders of the trails. So if you're interested in that, seeing photos and hearing about how that all came together, definitely check the website. Uh, some of the new trails over there include Delayed Fuse, Earth Circus, South Park, Upper and Lower Insomnia. And these trails, these five new trails that open just this year, supposedly add 25% more mileage to the resort. The resort was at like 60 kilometers of trails, and hmm. this takes them up to 75. And then What's crazy is they have another 35 kilometers of trails planned to be built in that Creekside area, I believe. So the, um, nuts. yeah, by the end of it, they will have nearly doubled the size of the Whistler bike park, which is, is pretty crazy and awesome at the same time. Yeah. So yeah, you mentioned during the racing uh, that it was pretty smoky from some of the forest fires burning in various places around North America. What was it like generally? What, what were the temperatures like and what, were the trails in good shape when you were there? Yeah, it was probably in the 80s uh, during my trip. People had said it had been getting into the 90s, but it, was, it wasn't that hot when I was there. Um the trails are dusty, definitely dry, definitely blown out, um, some major brake bumps and like potholes and, uh, just conditions that will make your hands really, really mad at you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, even so, uh, you know, it was, it was dry and dusty, but, uh, I mean, the trails are so much fun there that, you know, it doesn't, doesn't even matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's gotta be one of the busiest times of year. I imagine. And so that definitely takes a toll on the trails and trail conditions. How were the lift mm -hmm. lines though, when you were there, did you have to wait much to get a lift? Yeah. Yep. Definitely at the bottom of uh Whistler village on that Fitzsimmons chair. Uh, it was probably 20, 25 minute wait, um, up towards the top. If you're catching basically any of the other connector chairs, wasn't that bad at all. And Creekside was, there's nobody over on Creekside. Huh. Um, Even though the, all the trails are new, well, not all of them, but there are a bunch of new trails. It's interesting. 
Yeah. Yeah, there's still people over there, but, um, I mean, you probably would make, or wait maybe three, four minutes at most, like, during peak times on hmm. Creekside for a, for a chair. Yeah. It's pretty mellow there. Hmm. Yeah, I guess that makes sense and that maybe Whistler's trying to get more people to, or at least have a way to spread people out a little bit more so that those lift lines aren't too bad. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think they're even talking about like, hey, you, you should go park at Creekside too and shuttle over because <laughs> there's always parking on Creekside. Huh. So they're definitely definitely promoting it. Yeah, and you stayed over there. So what what would you recommend in terms of lodging and places to eat and stuff? Yeah, so I stayed at um, ended up picking just a private room at a hostel. Um, so if, if you're just going to Whistler on a budget, then it's probably a pretty good option. Um, I mean, a private room is like I think less than a hundred bucks a night, and then if you're adventurous and want to share a room with some people it's maybe like 40 bucks a night which in whistler it's not gonna get much better than that <laughs> yeah um but also not super luxurious so if you're the type that wants to take a vacation and uh you know treat yourself then that's not going to be ideal for that either <laughs> right. so um but creekside's cool it's a lot slower than whistler village um you know and there's a lift right there without lift lines as long as you're willing to go up to Creekside and then maybe, um, drop in on the front side to see some of those trails too and travel back and forth between Whistler village and Creekside. Mm-hmm. Um, right under where I was staying was this little diner. Um, and it was diner food. Like it's, you know, sometimes greasy diner food, but it's actually really good and they have good coffee. So that's important to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, like if you're in need of a breakfast, in Whistler and are in the mood for like coffee and pretty good diner food. The South side diner in Creekside was pretty good. I heard Creek bread, which is like a pizza place in Creekside is really good too. Uh, I just didn't have a chance to swing over there. And then they have Dusty's barbecue, which is over. It's like the restaurant and bar and grill that's over on the Creekside village also right by the lift. Okay. Uh, that place wasn't too bad. And then over towards Whistler Village, they have a ton of little, well, maybe not a ton, but like at least like two or three pizza shops with like different kind of pizza and uh, all pretty good pizza. Nice. Outside of that, I didn't didn't explore dining options too much. <laughs> yeah, your your Cliff Bar and like just eat on the mountain, huh? Yeah, especially if you're, you know, if you're feeling good and like it kind of takes a minute to warm up to some of the trails at Whistler and like start to get your confidence up. Like nothing brings me down more than like a really heavy meal. So I would just stay getting laps in, eating cliff bars until like the end of the day. Yeah. What did you, did you find yourself, did you ever like get in over your head on any of the trails there? I mean, I know there's some of the most challenging trails probably anywhere uh, in Whistler and in, in the mountains sort of surrounding that area. But what did you find? Did you ride a lot of technical trails or do you stick to more of the jump trails? I tried to ride both because um, I like riding tech and I like to hit jumps too. Um, and Whistler has both. Uh, they definitely have both types of trails. Um, I'd asked a buddy before I went out there what I should hop on. and He was telling me the difference between A-Line and Dirt Merchant, which are both um, pretty popular jump trails in Whistler. And, you know, he said uh, 
said try dirt merchant or dirt merchant for some reason it's just a lot easier to clear the jumps out there and um, even easier than a line and some spots and so um, when I was with Rochelle from GT we went over to dirt merchant and um, you know it's just one of those trails where people are always gathering and they're grouping up to do these mega trains down and so we went over there and Jeff Golovich and Ryan Howard and like a bunch of other just studs on on mountain bikes were setting up for this giant train through there and um man yeah that's a pretty uh pretty insane trail like I don't think any of the jumps there are smaller than 20 feet maybe 25 feet <laughs> and then they get stretched out to like I don't know 40 45 feet easily um jeez and then I guess like it had been beefed up right before I got there too they just opened the trail um I think the day I was there and it had been closed for some work uh for a few weeks before that and they put in this new features this wooden drop so it's a flat uh kind of a flat plank and then it's a 15 foot drop down and probably 15 feet across too um which is like totally doable you know if you're going 20 miles an hour and you're just absolutely committed but (laughs) i don't know i've never sent anything that big and i think it's gonna be another year or two before i can like (laughs) work up the courage to do it yeah just absolutely massive easy to get over your head there (laughs) and then for most of the tech trails like i i was doing pretty good on like the single black diamonds and um but even some of those, like there are a couple sections where it's really tricky to put a line together. Um, on Colorado, they'd easily be double black trails. Um, so yeah, I don't know that I, I got on dropping clinic. That was a double black, but it's like less than a quarter mile and it's really just one steep rock roll and then you're done. Like that's the most technical feature. Hmm. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the rating system that they use there. It's sort of unique in that, I mean, most of us are familiar with like the, you know, green, blue, black sort Mm -hmm. of system. And, but at Whistler, they have like light blues and blues and dark blues. Like, did you, did you find that system was like pretty consistent and helpful or was it confusing? It's helpful. Um, You know, aside from that, they have a list of like, trails from the easiest to the most difficult and it's kind of in progression to where like the blues will be in order from uh you know bottom to top easier to most difficult blue yeah and then sort of same way with the blacks and double blacks um so yeah if you can find that because there's um they have that sign posted up across the park too and then probably on their uh pamphlets that have yeah, I've seen that. Well. Yeah, on the map, it's got it laid out like that. It's pretty helpful. Yeah, it's definitely like a good reference point to if you're unsure of it. Start with that easy black diamond, and then maybe work your way up from there. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, we're gonna take a break real quick, but when we come back, I'm gonna ask Matt about the new bikes that he got to test during Crankworks and also get his tips for people who are thinking about going next year. Stay tuned. RX Bar makes whole food protein bars with simple, real ingredients. In fact, the label lists the core ingredients in big letters on the front of the wrapper. For example, this coconut chocolate bar I'm holding is made from three egg whites, six almonds, four cashews, and two dates. 
RX bar uses egg white protein, which is said to be easy for the body to absorb, making it a good choice for a pre-ride snack or during the ride. On long rides, I prefer to fuel up with real food, stuff that has bits of nuts and fruit and isn't too sweet, like an RX bar. You know how it seems like pretty much anything tastes good when you're riding? Well, I had an RX bar as a snack at the office this morning, and it still tasted great. With 14 flavors to choose from, there are chocolatey, fruity, peanut buttery, and even coffee-flavored bars. And hey, with fall around the corner, you guessed it, it's pumpkin spice time. So be on the lookout for seasonal flavors from RX Bar. For 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com slash singletracks and enter promo code singletracks at checkout. This code is only good for your first order, so stock up early. And we're back. So Matt, tell us, which bikes did you get to test while you were at Crankworks? So it ended up just being two bikes, um, the 29er GT Fury, and then the other one I can't say exactly what it is. It's not released yet, but <laughs> it was another long travel 29er. Uh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah. And so you were saying on the GT 29er, sounds like you got to spend a good bit of time on it, like almost a whole day of riding and um yeah, it sounds like, too, you got a lot of looks on that bike. People were really yeah. stoked to see it and were jealous, I guess, right? Yeah, super jealous. Um, so the Whistler Mountain Bike Park, that's what they carry. They carry uh, GT Furies for rentals. So right now, the park is full of the previous generation of, of the Fury. And so mm-hmm. as soon as I was like pushing around the new Fury, like everyone was just like, looking me up and down, like, who is this dude? Why does he have this bike? Uh, <laughs> like probably wondering if I was like some GT athlete or, or something like that. I was like, no, VIP. just, uh, just a media guy, just a normal <laughs> mountain biker. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it, that bike got a ton of interest. Um, one, cause it's been a while since GT has redone their fury, uh, the previous generation was in play for about five years. So it's, you know, it's their first new version of it in, in five years. Um, and then on top of that, it's, you know, it's a 29er downhill bike. So everybody's wondering, well, how does it ride? Yeah. How does it ride? You know, does, does it suck? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it definitely does not suck. Um, I think the 29er worked for what the downhill bike was intended to do about 90% of the time. Um, the only place that I felt like it was maybe not as advantageous was in really tight sections of trail where you're maybe trying to dodge rocks or go around because it's just Mm -hmm. not going to be a great line. Yeah. And so that takes a little bit more maneuvering, um, a little bit more setup around rocks and objects that you can't just plow through. Yeah. Aside from that, it was, um, man, it was a, it's a sweet bike, um, very playful, easy to get in the air, predictable when it was in the air. Um, and it just carried speed so well. Yeah. Are there going to be multiple build levels on the bike? Yes. Yep. Um, so it starts at 4,000 or 3,000 if you just want the frame. Uh, but a complete starts at 4,000 and then 5,500 for the middle level and 7,500 for the, uh, the high level, which is like 
pretty close to what the World Cup or World Cup athletes are riding. And so I was on that build. I think it was the team build. Whoa. Um, so it was, yeah, carbon frame, Shimano Saint components, uh, Stan's flow wheels, Schwalbe, Magic Mary tires, uh, just a hell of a bike. Yeah. And is it carbon only or is the lower end uh, an alloy? Uh it's carbon only, um, alloy rear triangle, um, and then carbon front triangle, but I don't think they have a full alloy version available. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That sounds like a really rad bike. I won't ask you too much about the other bike that you tested. Mm-hmm. Cause I know it's still, um, that information is not in the public, but how does that even work? I mean, you <laughs> rode around on this bike for five days in Whistler where there's thousands and thousands of people from all over the world who are there and you're riding in broad daylight. It's not like all, you know, covered up and shrouded or anything. Sure. Uh, So did anybody notice? I did not have anybody ask me about it. Um, well, one person, another, another media guy who was like, he knew what it was. And, um, you know, knew that that model was coming out, but, mm-hmm. uh, other than that, people didn't, um, no, they didn't, they didn't really notice. I mean, yeah. they knew what bike it was. They just didn't notice it was a new version. Right. Um, but yeah, and I asked the brand manager before and it's like, okay, so I'm, I'm good to ride this around the bike park. Right. And he's like, yeah, you know, just keep it off social media. And, um, people know, or they have an idea that it's coming, but they still want to, uh, you know, have some sort of debut when they, when they launch it. Yeah. So what is the launch date for the bike? Uh, end of September. Okay. So, wow, that's still a while away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So, and some of this team's enduro racers have already been racing it this season. And so it's, you know, it's, it's been spotted. It's, it's out there, but it's still under the assumption that it's a prototype. Hmm. Um, so yeah, but it'll, it'll be out soon. Cool. Well, yeah, the bike industry works in mysterious ways sometimes. <laughs> yeah, apparently. it does. Yeah. So while you were at Crankworks, did you get a chance to meet up with any athletes or anybody like that? Um, not many. Um, you know, I was hoping to go out and do some of the pro bike checks and stuff like that too. Um, and you see pros, I mean, they're all over the place. It's like, you go hop in line and there's Jeff Golovich and there's Cam Zink and Cody Kelly and just like all these top level athletes. But most of them are really wrapped up with practice during the day um, and then racing. And then after that, like awards and parties and stuff. Um, so hard to track down, but I did meet up with Eric Porter, who was on the uh, podcast not long ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he still rides full-time for Diamondback. Um, so I took a few laps with him and some of his friends, and Eric was all kitted out on his uh, DH bike and everything. And one of the fastest people I've ever ridden with, maybe the fastest person I've ever <laughs> ridden with. So it was just, we went down A-line some, and I was just hanging on tight, trying to go as fast as possible. <laughs> so it was pretty sweet. Yeah, speaking of Eric Porter, Leah... I ran into him in Park City as well. Leah was in Park City like a week or two ago on a trip. And right. Yeah. He's Eric Porter. I don't know how he does it. He's like everywhere at once, it seems like. Yeah. 
super nice guy, um, really outgoing and just a, a genuine person. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's, that's awesome that you got to ride with him and his buddies. Yeah. So what are some tips for maybe regular folks who are thinking about going to Crankworks? What, what would you recommend if someone's thinking about it for next year? Well, definitely plan, plan your stay and your trip a little bit earlier because it's such, I mean, it's probably the busiest time in Whistler, um, of the summer and maybe the winter because like their summer season is kind of taken over the mountain. I think it draws more money in than their winter season anymore. Um, so it's definitely something you want to plan ahead for. Um, and people may not want to go to Whistler during Crankworks. Like it's, it's very busy. Um, you know, you're going to have to wait in lines a little bit more, but I think it's a pretty cool experience. Like you don't, you don't really get that going anywhere else where you go to ride bikes and then you're also in line with like Finn Isles or, <laughs> you know, Jill Kintner, or Casey yeah. Brown or somebody like that. So it's like this huge dose of, you know, the mountain bike industry at once. Um, you know, you can go meet your favorite racers, athletes or whoever. Um, Aside from Crankworks, the riding would surely be better, but Crankworks is really an experience uh, in its own. Um, and to see some of the competitions and just all your favorite mountain bike athletes, um, it, it's it's definitely worth it. Um, so yeah, plan ahead. Um, just be ready for it to be busy and there to be more lines than usual. <laughs> yeah. Um, and wow, there's like a ton of parties just all the time. I'd, cause I had a couple of late nights working at the mountain and, you know, I try and grab a bite to eat afterwards. And I don't even know if it's like the mountain bike community, but there's like <laughs> just a ton of like young people that it turns into like a little, uh, I don't know, like party zone, the entire mountain. There's so many of these bars and stuff. So it's like, yeah. if, if you want like a good nightlife too, then just within Whistler village, it gets, it was pretty crazy there at, uh, at night when I was like headed out. So if that's your thing too, definitely, definitely, uh, the right place for it. Well, yeah. I mean, Crinkworks as an event has got to be on most mountain bikers bucket list, you know, along with others, like, I don't know, maybe sea otter in the U S mm-hmm. um, some other like competitions especially in europe there's a lot of big ones but then you also have whistler i mean whistler is a destination that's a bucket list destination so definitely yeah, it seems like you you could kill two birds with one stone by heading to crankworks seems pretty like a pretty good deal to me yeah absolutely you know mountain biking was born in what crested butte and in marin but i feel like a huge portion of mountain biking grew up in whistler and uh you kind of see the influence that Whistler has had on the mountain bike industry if you go out there and just um, why certain parts of mountain biking have developed the way that they are just because BC and Whistler is the trail building out there is absolutely nuts um, and there's just so much like talent out there that it's you know it's a it's a stronghold for mountain biking yeah that's a really good way to put it well Matt thanks for sharing with us your experience at Whistler Remember, there are tons of articles and uh, reviews and things coming out from the event. We had a lot of pre-Crankworks coverage on the site already, but we've got more stuff trickling out 
this week as well. So if you want to learn more, be sure to check singletracks.com. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace.